You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome to Abakabu Cafe. Thank you for tuning in to the only English language Orange Road podcast on the whole internet. My name is Jason Almy. I am your host today. I hope you got the taste of Jingoro out of your mouth from. Oh, that was poor phrasing. I guess I mean to say, I hope you got over last week's episode because today we're talking about Orange Road television episode 30. Entitled A Tender Little Story, Kurumi's First Love, Chapter Hell. This episode originally aired on October 26th of 1987. It was directed by Nakamura Koichiro. Nakamura has directed a few other episodes, episode six that introduced Yusaku, episode 12, which was a tremendously important episode in which Ayukawa packed all of her shit for no reason, episode 21, which was Kumiko trying to uh, get with Kasuga on an idyllic, beautiful mountainside amongst the flowers. That would have been a good way to lose the V-card, guys. I'm just saying. Episode 26 was also directed by Nakamura. That was Nakamura's most recent episode. Kasuga and Kazuya switch bodies in that one. This episode was written by Ohashi Yukiyoshi. Now, Ohashi has also written a good number of episodes by this point. Episode 13 which was Shikara's Transformation, episode 16, the UFO episode, OVA2, we talked about that one, that's Hawaiian Suspense, episode 23, that's the one where Kosinga has a little fantasy about uh, domestic abuse, it's lovely, guys, it's beautiful, uh, nothing problematic about this show at all. Ohashi also wrote episode 27, and that's the episode where Kasuga was supposed to prove that he was a man by defending Ayukua, but really he just stands there like a goober the whole time. He doesn't he doesn't wind up doing anything useful that episode. So he didn't exactly prove that he's a man. We're gonna uh, punt that one down the line. Now in this episode, we get to focus in on Kurumi. We had a recent episode that focused on Manami. Last episode, of course, as you likely remember, focused on Jingoro of all people. 
he's not even really a person, is he? I'm glad that the cat is above Kurumi in terms of their priorities, storytelling priorities. But today we're going to characterize Kurumi a little bit more and we're going to learn a little bit more about her and we're going to round out her character a little bit more in this episode. We begin with Kurumi's demeanor having shifted tremendously, 180 degree turn from her usual self. And there's something about this that immediately sets off both Kasuga and Jingoro. They both seem to know well enough that they are immediately very perturbed by Kurumi's new demeanor. Jingoro, in fact, tries leaping to his own doom off of the balcony, which seems kind of extreme. Even Kasuga remarks that now is not a time for suicide, Jingoro. Kasuga even thinks that he must be having a nightmare, given that Kurumi is acting this way. There's a reason for them to be so terrified of this shift in Kurumi that occurs at the beginning of this episode. They must understand the implications of a, of a change in Kurumi's personality like this. I mean, this is not the Kurumi that we know and fear. Somehow this is a more scary version of Kurumi, as indicated by Kasuga and Jingoro's reaction in this opening scene. And in this opening scene, we get heavy imagery of the stars at night. They move rapidly across the sky as Kurumi is gazing out wistfully upon them. There's something about stars and lovers, fate. Uh, star-crossed means like an ill-fated romance, as, as seen in uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, star-crossed lovers, but there's also like youth, uh, hope for the future. Somebody who has stars in their eyes is is meant to be hopeful. They're, they're being described as maybe a little overly optimistic, but certainly hopeful for the future. So her demeanor, as well as the imagery, strongly suggest in this opening scene that Kurumi is going to be experiencing her first crush in this episode. Animation throughout this episode supports that it's now well into fall with the trees outside the school having turned a golden yellow. There's a temptation, especially in episodic storytelling, to reuse certain assets like an exterior establishing shot. It certainly saves resources. Also for things like exteriors and establishing shots, these are not the super memorable shots. There's stuff like Ayukawa sitting at a bar with this huge gap next to her while people are all dancing in the background. It's too iconic to reuse. The viewers are going to notice. But I got to hand it to, to the Orange Road staff for prioritizing new animation that accurately reflects the passage of time. So I've always really enjoyed the background art and insert and establishing shots that show the world these characters inhabit. And I think it speaks to their effort, that of the filmmakers. Despite being frequently characterized as something of an airhead, Shikaru correctly and, and rapidly surmises that Kurumi has a crush on somebody. She then proceeds to speculate that Ayukawa is also in love. That statement by Shikaru recalls the concerns of Kasuga from earlier episodes, such as episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. Although Kasuga doesn't seem to bite on this one at this point. Maybe he's learned his lesson. He does gaze at Ayukawa, whose mind seems elsewhere during this conversation, as she stares out the window. 
At this point, I got to think if Shikaru had truly known all along that Kasuga loves Ayukawa, then what does she mean by making this statement? Is she trying to bluff Kasuga? Is she trying to provoke a response from Ayukawa and Kasuga and gauge their reaction maybe? Possibly. Both of those things are possible. As I've observed in previous episodes of this podcast, Shikaru, she manipulates especially. She will attempt to work a situation into her favor. We saw that in episode 10 when she found out that Kasuga had a dream about her death. She played it up. But I still don't feel like that's what she's doing here. I still don't get the impression that she's trying to throw something out there to get Ayuko and Kasuga to respond. Because I still think if Shikaru knew at this point, I think she would address him more directly about it. Like she does in episode 15. She comes right out at Kasuga at the climax of that episode and accuses him of being interested in someone else. I don't see why she would take a more subtle tactic than that here. In this episode, we do see a fantasy of Komatsu's, and it's pretty much what you'd expect. Actually, it was a little bit tamer than I expected. This is the first time we've seen inside his head, and he's a relatively minor character compared to all of the rest of the regular characters. And uh, so it's notable that we get to see one of his fantasies. We get to see his own imagination. This interaction allows Kasuga to rule out Komatsu as the guy Kurumi has fallen for. Hata is also quickly ruled out, as if there was any possibility of those two losers being the one that Kurumi has a crush on. They've been chasing Kurumi and Manami around for months, trying to get at him, and it hasn't worked this far. I'm not seeing it with either one of those guys. Yusaku is even briefly considered as well. And that must mean that Kasuga is unaware of Yusaku's latent sexual desire for him. Maybe all of the characters are unaware of Yusaku's true love. Yusaku being more afraid of Shikaru than his gorilla of a karate senpai is telling too. He slips out of his karate gi to evade his senpai and deliver the drinks to Shikaru. And the cameras slow zoom out as he's handing her the drinks through the window gives us the punchline via a reveal. Yusaku is offering these drinks to Shikaru in nothing but his underwear. And it's a it's a simple, but it's a good application of this slow zoom out reveal technique to, to create a little bit of a laugh because you get to see his polka dotted boxers. Now, Kasuka is finally out of options. I can't believe he, he only considered the three biggest dipshits at his school but he wonders who Kurumi's crush could be. At that moment, the filmmakers answer Kasuga by cutting to the guy. It's Hayami. They pan up from his foot all the way to his face. It gives his introduction some stylistic prominence. It tells us that this character is important. He's important enough to show you his shoelaces all the way up to his face and we spent so long showing you this person, several seconds to show you this person so that you would know he's important. He's filling up the frame. They also draw him more favorably than some of the other characters. I mean, when they first drew Komatsu in this episode, he's 
His face is red. His eyes are scrunched up. He looks like he's drooling, actually. I think they drew drool on his mouth. I mean, it's not a very attractive picture of a person for them to to present themselves like that. He's kind of a dipshit again. But here they're telling us that Hayami, he kind of has his shit together a little bit more. He's clearly meant to be handsome and athletic. We're even introduced to him as Kurumi is watching him play sports. Hayami is also clearly popular with the girls. There are several other girls there that are cheering for him when he scores a goal. Hayami is the obvious choice for Kurumi's crush, and even Kasuga realizes it as soon as Hayami is introduced. It's at this point that Kasuga asks himself, what is he supposed to do as the elder brother? Here's evidence of this Confucian patriarchal ideal that dwells within Kasuga despite his youth. He's trying to decide how much authority he can exert over Kurumi as well as possibly how he wants to approach Hayami. How protective does he want to be? And this is his conflict for the remainder of the episode. There's a lovely shot of Kurumi waiting for Hayami at the end of the school day. Hayami is walking down the middle of the frame, dead center, towards the camera. Kurumi is off to the left. She's waiting by the sidewalk. And trees line the sidewalk on either side. They recede back into the background to create the perspective. It's a very symmetrical shot with the exception of Kurumi's presence on the left. The leaves are falling throughout the frame. It provides a bit of movement and they pass between the camera and the action. We cut away to a close shot, tracking a leaf as it falls. The camera follows that leaf down before it comes to rest on the ground. Then they cut back to Kurumi. It's a tighter shot of Kurumi as she stands there. She just stands there, allows Hayami to walk right by her. The leaf hits the ground and her opportunity has passed. We cut back to our symmetrical shot of Hayami as he follows the walkway out of the frame. It's a wordless scene, but it does a great job of characterizing Kurumi. She's usually such a fearless character. She's typically so bold and outspoken. But here she's a young person capable of being paralyzed by her own shyness. Our devilish agent of chaos seems to have a heart after all. So this scene is stylistically significant. It elevates this episode above a filler. I mean, it's a it, it's an important side story, just like the Manami episode was. It also effectively conveys a feeling that's very relatable to the audience. Kurumi is unable to speak to this person she likes. It's a very human experience that crosses demographics. Also, I noticed that Shikaru has really been the source of key information for this episode. As she briefs Kasuga on Hayami's identity, we see a small spark of recognition from Ayukawa. We then cut away to a very brief flashback of Ayukawa holding a note addressed to her. And the note says part five on it. This is presumably the fifth letter that she has received from that sender, who is shown to be Hayami in another very brief flashback a few seconds later. Here, Kasuga reveals to Ayukawa and Shikaru his patriarchal impulses. He's wondering still how he should intercede as Kurumi's older brother. Not having had sisters myself, I've never felt a need to stand between someone and my siblings' private parts. 
but the expectation here seems similar to one often seen in Western culture, which is that a male relative, typically the brother, is at the very minimum expected to do a bit of vetting of a potential partner for his uh, sister. I think it's a fine impulse to want the people that you care about to have relationship partners that treat them well, but do any of us really have the right to control who our siblings date? Now, Kasuga inadvertently witnesses Ayukawa grabbing Hayami for a conversation. He witnesses what very much appears to be Ayukawa kissing Hayami. Even from the audience perspective, she appears to kiss Hayami. I guess this is to fake us out alongside Kasuga, but this moment is never revisited at the end of the episode. They never, they never circle back to this incident to explain to us what we really saw. It looks very much like Ayukawa kissed Hayami to both Kasuga and the audience, and there's nothing inside the episode to say otherwise. So I'm not sure if that's a fake out or not. I mean, she might have really kissed Hayami there. It's comical that Kasuga's voiceover is reduced to these odd sounds of frustration and anger as he witnesses both of these things. It's also a little funny that the guy who loudly interrupted what he thought was Ayukawa's wedding ceremony wouldn't do the same for what appears to be an actual kiss. Like interrupting someone's wedding is is way more of a big thing than butting in on two people kissing in private. He musters up what little guts he does have to talk to Ayukawa about it. And her response seems very much to support Kasuga and the audience's belief that Ayukawa has fallen for someone and that it is Hayami. Kasuga and his melancholy still manages to register Kurumi leaving the next morning. Manami informs him that Kurumi is meeting Hayami for a date. That realization sends him literally reeling. He and his chair fly backwards across the room as if propelled by the power. I don't know if that was an ESP thing or if that was simply to show us, to to communicate visually to us how shocked he was to learn that Kurumi is going out for a date with Hayami. Apparently, Kasuga explains to Manami off-screen what he saw between Hayami and Ayukawa because as she's getting ready to leave, she remarks at how unbelievably scuzzy it is for Hayami to ask Kurumi out while he's chasing another girl. And yet, as we hear Manami deliver this line, we cut to a still image of Kasuga himself looking befuddled as Shikaru is leaping into his arms while Ayukawa is storming off. The filmmakers are aware of Kasuga's hypocrisy. He's upset about Hayami going after his sister and Ayukawa, But the work also acknowledges that its primary overarching conflict involves Kasuga doing pretty much the exact same thing. Kasuga even agrees with Manami that it's super scuzzy of Hayami. He doesn't seem to be very self-aware in that moment, even saying that he won't let Hayami get away with being such a two-timer. Kasuga needs to have a chat with the man in the mirror about that shit. This episode manages to exploit the fact that Manami and Kurumi are twins. Manami is going to impersonate Kurumi to get info from Hayami. We get to hear again, performed by Fujishiro Minako. This is our first time hearing this as an insert song. This is a good song for a afternoon date. 
Again, we see some fairly imprecise teleportation by the Kasagas, Similar to when he accidentally landed in a tree teleporting to school in episode 25, it makes you think they could accidentally teleport themselves into like a wood chipper or something more dangerous. What if they teleported like uh, 100 feet off the ground or something and there was no tree to catch them? I, I worry about them teleporting so imprecisely. But we cut into Kurumi's date right as she's telling Hayami that her brother is chasing two girls Kurumi seems very nervous also. This is, again, very unlike her. Hayami seems distracted, not very focused on the date, at least at first. Hayami claims that chasing two girls doesn't sound exciting to him at all. At that very moment, a trio of extras pass in front of the camera. One might initially think this is an unremarkable detail, but the trio is a young man flanked by a young lady on each arm. And Hayami watches them pass. His head turns. Hayami asks Kurumi which girl she thinks Kasuga prefers. And we see the guy from a second ago being pulled back into the frame by one of the two girls. She's dragging him back the way they came, followed closely by the second girl for a visual gag. Within just a few seconds, Nakamura shows us the ups and downs of pursuing two women with those extras. Kurumi refers to Kasuga's true preference as his trade secret, as if it was the secret formula for Coca-Cola or something. I wonder, could this be a meta-reference? The filmmakers can't definitively state at this point in the, in the show who Kasuga will wind up with, even though we all know who it's going to be, because it's a requisite that they have this tension. It's what the entire show balances on. But Kurumi does get a genuine laugh out of Hayami with this one, so that worked out pretty well. Next, Manami gets a crack at Hayami. Just when Manami goes to confront him, dressed as Kurumi, of course, she is immediately deflated by his good looks. All of the gusto that she was going to put into the confrontation is just, poof, the wind is taken out of her sails. I believe it's the first time we've heard this tune. This is Orange Vice. I have to think that maybe the name is a, a reference, at least in the name, to the popular 80s show Miami Vice. According to the internet, Miami Vice did not do very well with Japanese audiences. So maybe not. Manami is all nervous. She eats his fries by accident. She chokes on ice. She spits it all out on Hayami. She rips his sweater and then she pokes him as she tries to sew it back up. She's basically tanking the date. And she never even gets the chance to grill him. Meanwhile, Kasuga tries to feed Kurumi the most Japanese-sounding burger of all time the exclusive super deluxe ultra special hamburger, which is like six words that still tell me precisely zero about the hamburger. It's like, how much could you say about that hamburger without telling me anything about that hamburger? Kasuga is force-fed the burger by Kurumi using the power before being knocked into it by Manami making her escape and then knocked over again by Hayami all onto the floor. Kasuga and Manami seem to be reaping karmic rewards for their meddling. That is going to happen again. Characters are going to continue to be punished for meddling. 
throughout the remainder of the episode. We cut away from this action to see Ayukua and Shikaru at a movie. Ayukua is shown holding what appears to be a playbill for the movie called Kono Ai no Merodi, but the image on the cover is lifted almost directly from the poster for an officer and a gentleman. I understand that an officer and a gentleman was fairly well received in Japan, having won the Japanese Academy Award for Outstanding Foreign Language Film. Shikaru expresses her affection for Kasuga to a pensive Ayukawa. Nakamura zooms in on Ayukawa's hands, clutching the playbill, before cutting to a close-up of Kurumi's hand, offering a homemade monogrammed towel as a gift to Hayami. This parallelism seems to frame these girls as a love triangle with Hayami. As Kurumi claims to not be very handy with sewing, Hayami recalls Manami disguises Kurumi rapidly mending his sweater. He seems to notice the contradiction there. Of course, Kasuga is spying on them as this happens. Of course, Ayukawa and Shikaru encounter Kasuga as he's spying on them. Strangely, Ayukawa goes into hiding right next to Kasuga and seems like she's very interested in eavesdropping alongside him, which is uncharacteristic of her. I think normally Ayukawa would view that type of eavesdropping behavior as being beneath her. She's better than that, usually. Today, it seems like she's got an interest in this conversation. When he sees Kurumi crying, Kasuga leaps into the process of humiliating himself. The group finally has to reckon for their meddling here. When Kurumi learns that Ayukawa put Hayami up to the date, she is understandably pissed. She stomps the ground so hard that the earth shakes. I don't think this is a stylistic exaggeration, like when Kasuga and his chair zoomed across the floor to show his shock. I think Kurumi being quite powerful and equally pissed at this moment literally made the local area shake. That's how tremendous her anger was. This is an example of well-intentioned meddling and duplicity backfiring. On even a character such as Ayukua, this is kind of uncommon for Ayukua to be in this position. She typically has the moral high ground, and here she finds herself with the other meddlers, Hayami included. The next scene occurs an hour, maybe a few hours later, and we get this whole goodbye from Hayami to Ayukua. That's a total wink at the audience. Hayami not only seems certain that Ayukua is in love with somebody, he also claims to know who it is, but he doesn't reveal. Ayukua responds by blushing, maybe looking a little bit surprised, but she doesn't deny it. Ishikaru responds with shock. She is acting like she has no idea, which does contribute which does contradict her later claim in Anoshi, unless she's bluffing now again. She even says, is it someone I know? Again, I don't feel like this is a bluff on her part. I don't feel like the filmmakers are giving us enough evidence that Shikaru is bluffing, that Shikaru knows something that she's not letting on. This is an easy piece to retcon, which I think they do with Anoshi, but I think this scene was intended to show that Shikaru is completely unaware of the relationship that Ayukawa has with Kasuga. And even though Hayami has to leave town, never to be seen in Orange Road ever again, we still get a happy ending. The Kasugas apologize for meddling. 
Kurumi's string is the last one that's still connected to the boat. I guess that means something. And Shikaru tells Kasuga that Ayukawa is secretly in love with somebody. So they get right in the end. And if you want to get right, you can do that too. Head on over to patreon.com slash teamalmy. Become a member. Get access to all sort of special bonus content. I'm going to be doing an in-depth analysis of the pilot episode that was produced prior to this series. It hasn't been commercially released in the U.S., but I'm going to put a copy of it up on my Patreon, and I'm going to talk all about it, and that's going to be just for patrons. So those of you who are patrons, I very much appreciate you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Also, check out Creatures of the Night. That's another fun podcast I do as a co-production with a couple of other uh, guys in the Inner Circle Podcast Network. I'll put a link for Creatures of the Night up in the show notes. It's a kooky, weird show, but it's a lot of fun. Today, we got some new music from Earl Knight. I haven't quite exhausted our new music from Earl Knight yet, although the day is coming soon, possibly next week. But thank you very much again for listening, and please enjoy this Earl Knight remix. I will see you next week. <laughs>